Come be a part of the Tea Party with your host, Dr. Ed Holliday. Hear the voices of liberty speaking all across America. Doc Holliday provides thought-provoking interviews and commentary about the issues and actions that are afflicting this country and what we need to do to get America back on track. Get fired up. Get inspired. Get on board Doc Holliday's Tea Party right now. It's only a click away. Welcome back, Patriots. I hope you're putting your uh, wrapping paper stuffing it around to be recycled and hope you're getting ready for 2012 because this is the last week before 2012. Got a lot to talk about in today's show of the Iowa caucuses. Coming up, we've got to touch on what's going on there. And then we're going to say goodbye to this old year. And we got a great guest, Rob DeSantis, is going to be with us. He wrote a book called Dreams from Our Founding Fathers. I did not say dreams of my father. I did say Dreams from our founding fathers, Rob DeSantis, be with us in just a few minutes. And then I also want to tell you about this week's Tombstone of the Week Award. Doc Holliday's Tombstone of the Week Award goes to President Obama for some words he said. If you've not heard this, uh, you've got to hear what he, how he ranks himself as uh, along with all the presidents in the history of America. So we're going to talk about that in this week's Tombstone Award. And then at the end, we're going to have this. Rock a Liberty speech. Let me tell you a story about 2011. So you don't want to miss this week's Rock a Liberty speech. So much to talk about right here at the end of the year. And what did you think about this year? I tell you what, uh, it was topsy turvy in political uh, scenes, and we don't know where it's going to go in early January in the Iowa caucuses. But I will say, let's just see what. Um, let's see what. Uh, maybe Jimmy Stewart would say about It's a Wonderful Life. That's a Christmas present from a very dear friend of mine. Well, nothing like It's a Wonderful Life from uh, Jimmy Stewart. Just to remind us of what we do have. A great, great uh, potential here in America. So I do want to say thank you for listening to Doc Holliday's Tea Party as we cover so many subjects right here uh, uh, every week. And for some of you new listeners, we're glad to have you right here on Doc Holliday's Tea Party. And let me just say welcome and be sure to go back and listen to our archives. We've got some great shows. But the most important thing is today's show is the Iowa caucuses because they're just a week away. They're just a week away, and we're going to have people actually starting to put feet to the ground. We're going to see who's going to start winning in the first uh, in Iowa is a caucus. It's not where you go in and vote in a voting booth. This is a caucus where you got to get out in the winter weather and you got to get in front of your friends and neighbors and you got to tell why you support whoever you're supporting. And where is it going? Nobody knows. <laughs> we knew Newt came up in the polls and once he got up there, you talk about a fierce firestorm and Newt's been taking a right licks left licks just getting punched all over by friends and foe alike and you remember last week i said let it come because we got to see if he can handle it and if he can't we need to know 
And there's a lot of things a lot of people need to know. So our caucuses, what are what what is going on? First, let me just say that Doc Holliday is going to give you insight here that uh, that some of you may have not even thought about. But last week I said, you know, if somebody would would uh, really want to get involved for America and put themselves out of the picture, one of the, or two of these candidates could say, I'm getting out of the race and getting behind so-and-so because this is good for America. We're looking for a good, strong, conservative candidate that everybody say, hey, they got momentum. Well, uh, there's a lot of people that think that Rick Santorum may just come through in our caucuses and surprise folks. Why? Well, because he's been working there nonstop for a year or more now and visited many people, and he thinks the evangelical vote could come his way. And Michelle Bachman's been working it just about as hard as Rick Santorum, and a lot of people think that she could come in and get the evangelical vote. And Rick Perry has had money. The other two haven't had the money he's had, and he's been pouring in his ads uh, to try to build up support in Iowa. Again, going toward the evangelical vote. Now, this is where I, I've just got to say something. We've heard many of the candidates say that uh, they've prayed about it and God wants them to run for president. But when does a candidate stop listening? Or, or, you know, if God tells them to run, when does God tell them to stop running? And if you really believe in America and you believe we've got to get a conservative that doesn't have all the baggage of Newt Gingrich or, and, or, and you don't feel like Mitt Romney is conservative enough, well, you got these <laughs> between Michelle Bachman and Rick Perry and Rick Santorum. You know, if you put all those together, if two of them would quit and get behind the other one, hey, <laughs> there'd be a bona fide conservative in the race. But so my question to Michelle Bachman, Rick Santorum, and Rick Perry, you want the evangelical vote and you feel like God has called you to run for president, when does God tell you to not run? If you listen and you can hear God telling you to run for president, then are you listening now? Because I think if two of you three would get out and, and support the other one, then uh, you could very well make history. But uh, who, who am I to tell you what to do? But I would say, if you're listening to God, <laughs> I think he's telling two of you to get out, okay? That's just Doc Holliday's take on it. But now listen, I live right here in Tupelo, Mississippi, and this Doc Holliday's Tea Party comes right from the birthplace of Elvis Presley. Every week we come to you from Tupelo, Mississippi, live in our studios. We record the show, but we put this thing together, and I I have to tell you, there's another uh, radio uh, station right here. Not only a station, they got a nationwide network, the American Family Association, and they've been well known for decades now. But uh, Don Wildman is the founder of the American Family Association. It's based right here in Tupelo, Mississippi. And Don Wildman is well-respected, has been in the evangelical field for, uh, like I said, years now, years and years as a strong patriot, strong, strong uh, supporter of Christian values. And guess what? He, he came out last week. If you hadn't heard it, I read about it in the Los Angeles Times, all across uh, different papers. But uh, Don Wildman, the founder of the American Family Association, has thrown his personal support, not, not, his, not, not this uh, 
the foundation or the group itself, the American Family Association, but Don Wildman, the founder of it, has thrown his personal support again, you know, drum roll, <laughs> we need a drum roll here. If you hadn't heard it, he's thrown his support behind Newt Gingrich. Yes, the, he's been married three times, has all kind of uh, uh, ethical questions in different ba various backgrounds, but Don Wildman has come forward and said he is throwing his support behind Newt Gingrich. Oh, does that make Rick Santorum happy? <laughs> or, or Michelle Bachman? Or Rick Perry? Uh, why would he do that? Well, uh, Don Wildman said himself, said this is to him that basically this election is so important and Barack Obama does not need to be reelected that he wants to get behind the person he thinks can make things happen and, and, and bring America back to some, some moral values and bring America back with a conservative direction. So he, uh, Don Wildman's not looking for the purity as in someone he believes he can trust. And I believe this is Newt Gingrich's key to getting to the Republican nomination and getting to the White House is trust. How do you gain the trust of people that you have abused or people where you've made mistakes? And you got so many people who used to work for Newt in Congress that are still there and, and they're not real big supporters of Newt. So how do you win their trust? If Newt can figure out how to win their trust, just like he won the trust of Don Wildman, I don't know how he did it, but evidently Don Wildman trusts Newt Gingrich. So that is the key. I wrote about that, and there's an article called uh, uh, How Newt's Trying to Make His Baggage Disappear. But I wrote an article in an online magazine, the Main Street uh, Journal, so uh, I've got it on the, on the front page here for this week, so go there. I got it marked where you can uh, just get a direct link to the, the article about Newt and read about that. And I think that is, to me, the factor that Newt Gingrich must have is to be able to make people trust him when he has disappointed many in the past. Now, saying that, where does that leave Mitt Romney? Romney's fighting, and I'm going to tell you about the most... <laughs> uh, audacious thing that's going on but let me tell you about Mitt first Mitt is is uh he doesn't have to run first place in Iowa he's always said that he doesn't have to that's not really staking his ground he's really staking in New Hampshire but he wants to make his presence known in Iowa and he could end up winning Iowa there's uh there's a lot going on like I said the situation is so fluid he has the money and he has the team to spend on getting that backbone organization that it takes in a caucus you know that's where Barack Obama just uh, he, he he got the initial hit on Hillary Clinton in 2008 because he had an organization and he had people backing him up in our caucuses so uh, Mitt may have more there than anybody knows now let me get to what I said the audacious part in the polling Ron Paul is running on top in some of the our polls can you believe it can you believe it? A man that if we elect him, he would leave office being 81 years old. If he made it to 81 and, and, and nobody's even talking about his age. <laughs> uh, well, a lot of things that people talk about his ideas and he scares some folks. He's got some great ideas on one hand, but you got to look at the other hand and how far are we to get. But I'm telling you, Ron Paul being number one in the polls is 
What it's showing is there's nobody that's really drawing everybody in. There's nobody that's drawing the Republican, Republican voters in. And that is what uh, the Iowa caucuses are setting up for uh, <laughs> in the old wrestling world. Can you vision the wrestling world where it's a free-for-all in a wrestling <laughs> ring? And that's really what we're seeing in this political field. Anybody... Out of, out of all the candidates between Centaurum, Michelle Bachman, uh, Rick Perry, Ron Paul, Newt Gingrich, uh, and, and uh, Mitt Romney, and even Huntsman. Look, anybody, uh, well, Huntsman's probably not going to win Iowa, okay? But any of the others, they could surge forward. There's, there are ways that are possible that any of those could surge forward and win Iowa. You remember that uh, Mike Huckabee won it in 2008 for the Republicans. Surprised a lot of people. Got some momentum, but not enough. It surprised the, uh, the Republican Guard enough, the establishment, that they got behind John McCain. Boy, that was a winner, wasn't it? <laughs> that was a winning <laughs> field. So uh, we have got a lot to look forward to in 2012. It's starting next week with the Iowa caucuses and Doc Holliday's Tea Party is going to stay on top of it for you and give you some uh, views that you won't get anywhere else. So listen to Doc Holliday's Tea Party, and I've got to get you right here ready for the Tombstone of the Week Award. And it does go to, I told you, our president, our commander-in-chief, who in the 60-minute interview, uh, this part got edited out. Now, why did CBS edit this out? Did they think it would not be flattering? Well, President Obama said that they, with the exception of probably LBJ and Lincoln and FDR, that uh, he doesn't know if any other president has done all, has accomplished all that he's done. <laughs> okay. Now, does that deserve this week's Doc Holliday's Tombstone of the Week Award? Now, if some historian wants to come out and say it, and we can ridicule him, and we can do everything, but for the president himself, this guy going on a 17-day vacation when, when, when America needs leadership and trying to get a payroll tax cut through, listen, listen. He doesn't need to be saying that his administration is ranked up there behind FDR, LBJ, Lincoln, he, he, he automatically puts himself above George Washington, John Adams, Andrew Jackson, uh, Teddy Roosevelt, Woodrow Wilson, uh, Calvin Coolidge, oh my goodness, Harry Truman, John Kennedy, <laughs> Dwight, Eisenhower, uh, Dwight Eisenhower, Ronald Reagan. Uh, you know, <laughs> boy, okay, the audacity <laughs> of... <laughs> It's not the audacity of hope. I just have to say it's the audacity of hubris. I mean, uh, pride goeth before a fall. Uh, maybe he hasn't read his Bible. He, uh, maybe Jeremiah Wright didn't talk about that a whole lot in the sermons there in Chicago when uh, President Obama was attending for 20 years. But, okay, I digress. It's time to get ready for this week's uh, interview with... I told you it's Rob DeSantis, and, and he's got a great book, and we're going to talk to him in just a minute. But first, let me remind you, you're listening to Doc Holliday's Tea Party. You're listening to us on webtalkradio.net. 
That's webtalkradio.net. I'm glad to have you listening. Glad for the new listeners. A lot of people coming in with the Iowa caucuses, picking up for this Tea Party radio show. And knowing I'm going to tell you some things you won't hear anywhere else. So we're glad you're listening to us. And I do want to remind you that not only does Rob DeSantis have a book, we're going to talk to him in just a minute, but Doc Holliday has a book too. And it's called Doc Holliday's Rock Splitting Politics, The Tea Party Versus the Status Quo. Yes, you can get it with your uh, Amazon gift certificate. It is at Amazon now. It is also at my website, www.teaparty.ms. Go to teaparty.ms, check out the book and and you need to get it for get fired up for the 2012 elections. Doc Holliday's rock splitting politics. And saying that, let's go right in and let's check out this book by Rob DeSantis, and and we're gonna give him a call right now. All right, we got on Doc Holliday's Tea Party is uh, Ron DeSantis, and Ron, welcome to Doc Holliday's Tea Party. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing great, and we're glad to have you on. And you've written a book, and it's called Dreams from Our Founding Fathers. Tell me about the book. What made you want to write this book, Ron? Well, what made me want to write it was I was uh, active duty Navy uh, transitioning to the reserves. And uh, this was during the Obamacare debate in 2010. You have to take the oath of office as a reserve officer again because it's a different commission. And so I did that, and I noticed for the first time, maybe, even though I'd taken the oath previously, the oath tells you to do one thing, support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, so help me God. And as I looked around what was going on in Washington with this whole Obamacare stuff, a lot of the members of Congress, and they take the same oath, either did not know or did not even care whether what they were doing was even unconstitutional. They were engaged in all types of chicanery to force down a 2,000-page bill, uh, a bill that many of them had never even read. And so there was no way I could square their oath of office with their actions and the principles that they were espousing. So uh, I wanted Ron, to do me, I was just going to start, the, but you're saying, of course, that's the same oath of office, what the Congress, anybody, any member of Congress, and what you had to do in the reserve military is the same oath of office. Is that correct? That's right. The Constitution is your guide. Is that the same oath that the president takes? Uh, when it, he... it, it's a little bit different because the president is uh, uh, faithfully executing that particular office of president of the United States, but then the president has to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. Um, we, as officers and as a member of Congress, would be called on to support and defend the Constitution. So it's the same right. general okay. um, thing, but the presidential oath does have some things specifically to that office. Well, I'm glad that, I'm glad you brought that out. That's one reason I wanted you on. I know you're an expert in many things, but go ahead and you're telling us about the reason why you wrote the book. Congress people, members of Congress, taking this oath and they acted like they didn't know what. They sure didn't sound like they were committed to that oath of office, did they? No, in fact, people like Nancy Pelosi, you know, she's interested in pursuing her progressive ambitions. She doesn't really see herself as as uh, circumscribed by the Constitution. And I would say the same thing with President Obama. His, he is wanting to fundamentally transform the United States. Those are the words he used. And so, um, you know, I took a look at, at kind of that. But then I also took a look at the Tea Party. And Obama caused a lot of people uh, in the Tea Party to 
look at the founding fathers, look at the Constitution, and, and try to try to get us so that we're remaining faithful to the principles on which the country was founded. And so basically what the book is, it's one volume that talks about the fundamental principles that underlie the Constitution that the founding fathers relied on, and then it shows how on issue after issue, Obama uh, and his allies are taking us in a direction that the founders uh, never intended. And I'm like you. I, I think Obama has pushed this so, so far to the left and, and away from the constitutional constitutional uh, foundings. But do you see both parties uh, doing that? Uh, we talked about Congress and what they have done, but you see both parties, uh, politicians, uh, getting away from the Constitution? Oh, I think I think you can definitely see it in both parties. Now, my book is generally focusing on Obama and his Democratic allies simply because the first two years of his presidency, the Democrats had total control of the government. Uh, So it was really their actions that I was able to pinpoint. And I think the Tea Party was a reaction to that. Examples of, of, of other parties, Republicans, who do it. I mean, there are some Republicans who are very good constitutionalists and that I respect a lot. Um, then there are some who uh, pork barreling and um, influence peddling and things of that nature. And we saw that a little bit 2005, 2006 when Republicans got the boot. Um, so, so yes, I think it, it's a it's a political system wide um, issue that we need to address. In fact, I talk about in the preface of the book. Um, they did, uh, one of the organizations did a survey of Americans about how much they know about the Constitution, about American history. And Americans as a whole didn't do that well. But the interesting thing was elected officials did even worse oh, than the my. public as a whole. Yeah. The so elected officials did you know, worse. These guys are supposed to be making these decisions, and yet a lot of them don't even have a good found foundation in what our country's all about. The reason you put this book together is also uh, for our listeners to know uh, you were you were in Iraq. You you served your country, and and you are a private attorney now. Is that correct, Ron? I do. I do uh, private uh, private practice. I also have a uh, an online business, and then I teach uh, military operational law um, at one of the law schools down here in Florida. So you've lived, uh, you've given the oath, you've lived uh, your life serving your country. And you see this, and you've mentioned the Tea Party, and how do you see the Tea Party playing? In, the, in what's going on in America now in the, in the elections that are coming up in 2012? I think the Tea Party is going to be important. I think that you want to, and it's particularly important in the nomination process uh, for the presidential, but also for some of these other offices, whether it's U.S. Senate, uh, U.S. Congress, because you can choose in that. A lot of times, whatever district it is for Congress, or even some states, the Republican will probably win, or maybe the Democrat will win, just because of the nature of the voters there. Um, so those situations, if it's a surefire Republican district, I mean, you really want to make sure that you get somebody who's who's focused on first principles, who understands the constitutional foundations, rather than uh, maybe some Republican who's just kind of looking to move up and advance, you know, his own personal career. Um, and so I think the Tea Party plays huge in primaries, and then I think obviously for the general election, the energy, people really know that some our country may lose a lot of what's unique about it if we don't remove Obama from office. If Obamacare is fully implemented, Dodd-Frank, some of these other things, I mean, we are just going to have the government expand into all kinds of areas of American life, um, and it really will be the government that is first, and we, the people, will take a backseat to the government, and that's not what the Founding Fathers wanted. 
Of course, your, uh, the title of your book, Dreams from Our Founding Fathers, is a play off the, uh, Barack Obama's first book called Dreams of My Father. That's right. And so the, how, do you, how do you see President Obama now, as, uh, now that he is the, our commander-in-chief, he's the president of the United States, how do you see him differing from George Washington? Well, it's interesting. I do a chapter in the book called Hubris and Humility, and I contrast Obama's hubris with Washington's humility. You know, Obama says that he has the ability in one of the speeches he gave to slow the rise of the oceans, to heal the planet. On 60 Minutes the other day, he said that his, his accomplishments rank up with any president, with the possible exception of Lincoln, FDR, and LBJ. Um, so he just has an inflated view of himself. Whereas you look at somebody like Washington, you know, when Washington took the oath of office to become president, you read his first inaugural address, he's apologizing for any mistakes he might make. He apologizes. He says, look, I don't have any experience in civil government. I, I hope you'll understand that nature has not endowed me with, uh, with the requisite qualifications for this. I beg your pardon. Now, can you ever imagine wow. Obama admitting that he has any type of flaws or <laughs> shortcomings? Of course he wouldn't. But see, uh, Washington, his humility mattered because what he was trying to do was set a precedent that we are a government of laws, not a government of men. It was a republic, not some type of monarchical government. And Washington wanted to show that nobody's indispensable. So he served his two terms, and then he went back to Mount Vernon and retired. Um, and that and that is something that um, was critically important for the type of character our country um, had. And now, and and I did hear that uh, clip that uh, when President Obama said it, with the exception of Lincoln and FDR and Johnson, he thought you know during any other uh, administration or he's been better than any other president. And, I, and that uh, that's a far cry from humility, isn't it, Ron? Oh, absolutely. You know, that's the thing. It's. Um, it, it actually, it's, it's something that you and I and your listeners would probably laugh at just because we know history and we're like, what does this guy think he's doing? But it actually affects the way he governs. He has an inflated view of his own ability, and so he's going to go around and he thinks then he can socially engineer all these different aspects of society, Obamacare. No, 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 you don't know what type of health insurance that, that's good for you. He's going to tell you the type of insurance that he thinks you need with his individual mandate. And we see this in different aspects uh, of his administration. So, so that hubris does lead him to want to expand government into our lives because he thinks he's more competent to run our lives than we are uh, ourselves. Well, let me uh, play the devil's advocate here. Your dreams from our founding fathers. Who are, uh, a lot of people would say, Ron, well, these, these people had no idea about the technology in today's world. They had no idea about uh, world, uh, the, the world that we live in and the, the way the world has become so much uh, closer together because of communications and, and transportation. So why in the world would we listen to dreams from our founding fathers instead of dreams from Barack Obama? <laughs> That's a good question, and I, and I do get that question from time to time. James Madison in the Federalist Papers said, what is government but a reflection on human nature? And so, yes, there have been changes, as you've indicated, but do you think human nature has changed one iota mm. since 1787 when the Constitutional Convention got underway? Indeed, it, has it changed from the very beginning of man? I don't think human nature has changed one bit. And so when you're talking about things such as limitations on government, the rule of law, 
the primacy of individual freedom, um, those are our enduring truths. Those are time-tested principles that it doesn't matter if you drive an automobile or a horse and buggy. Uh, they are related to human nature. They're related to the individual's place in society, the individual's place before God. So um, I think it's an argument you see put out there, but if you really dig deep and ask what government's about, um, a lot of these things just don't change. Well, I have a question for you. This, this is the question I get some. I have a lot of friends of, of conservatives and moderates and, and a lot of liberal friends. And I, one of my uh, African-American friends was talking to him just this week. And he said, Ed, you just don't realize, you know, before the great society, before LBJ, we had no health care. He's talking about the African-American community. We had no rights. We had no jobs. We had no health care. Even after the Civil War, 100 years after the Civil War, and said, we we love Obama because we know he's going to take care of us. And anybody else, I just can't trust. And this is what he said to me. And now, who, how would you respond to uh, someone that uh, believes in government because they never had anything before government started uh, help, trying to help help them out as far as the, being on the, the poorest part of our society? Even LBJ said, we're going to we're going to help you out. Right. Well, I think that there's a couple things to be said. First is the Founding Fathers in creating the federal government, they wanted it to be a government of limited powers. And so um, certain types of anti-poverty programs, I think they would say would have been better done at a local level uh, or a state level. But the problem with our anti-poverty programs is it's so impersonal. People get these EBT cards in the mail, and they're going and buying things, and it's not really um, producing... Um, uh, you know, uh, an ability to rise out of that state. Whereas I think if you're talking about on a local level where you know the people, where churches are involved, where other community groups are involved, well, then you can see, you know, if somebody is, is, is disadvantaged but they're not working, then maybe we can try to get them to develop some skills and to make the most of their own lives. So that's just one thing. And then the second thing I'd say um, is, you know, the Founding Fathers would have never said, hey, I'm willing to sacrifice uh, my personal freedom and the ability for me to make the most of my own life so that you'll take care of me. That's, that was, they would never have made that, that trade. I mean, Patrick Henry said, give me liberty or give me death. Liberty was something that, that was just non-negotiable for them. And I think you find if you're uh, submitting to some of these redistributionist schemes, um, you really are, um, uh, the government is really in charge of a lot of your livelihood. When you start talking about health care, when you start talking about welfare benefits, you start talking about food stamps, uh, you know, if the government wants you to jump for that, um, you, know, you basically just got to say how high. And I think that would have been something that the Founding Fathers would have rejected. Well, you, and you're right. You know, Jefferson, of course, we know what he said. You know, a government big enough to give you everything you want is the government big enough to take away everything you have. Ron, tell us how uh, we can get your book. Oh, yes. And if anyone wants to check it out, you can go to www.dreamsfromourfoundingfathers.com and has all the links to buy it right there. So I'd appreciate it. if anyone's interested, uh, please check it out. Well, that's, I was about to ask you that. Dreamsfromourfoundingfathers.com. Go right there and find out more and, uh, and, and order the book. So we appreciate you, having, appreciate you being on the show, Ron, and uh, we hope to get you on again sometime. All right. Well, I'm not sure when this is going to air, but uh, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. And that was Ron DeSantis, and we appreciate him being on the air. A couple of great nuggets. Number one nugget, that oath, that oath that he had to take in the military. Same oath as the people of Congress had to take. 
when they uh, pledged to uphold the Constitution, and and we talked about the presidential uh, oath also. So that was a great insight by Ron, and in his book he talks about that, and also what a great insight when he contrasted the humility of George Washington and the hubris of our present president. So I thought he had a great job on a lot of things. Check out his book there at his website. And now I got to go right into this week's Rock of Liberty speech, Doc Holliday's Rock of Liberty speech. I said, let me tell you a story about 2011. So let me start. I'm not going to go through chronologically. I'm going to tell you about I've seen gas prices fluctuate up and down. Still, I think they're like a dollar eighty-five when President Obama was uh, placed in office. Now, of course, they're hoving around over a little over three dollars, and they go up and down. But let me tell you, higher gas prices are just a stupid mistake away. Now, who can make a stupid mistake? Well, <laughs> oh, I set myself up for that one, didn't I? Who could make a stupid mistake? The Middle East, it's in turmoil, folks. We haven't seen it like this. I don't know when it's been like this, even though it's always been a hotbed of mistakes. Now we have a president that thinks he ended the Iraq war by himself. Folks, he didn't do anything but follow George W. Bush's game plan. Remember, he told everyone as a senator that the surge would not work. Well, President Bush's surge did work, and the game plan was put into place, and President Obama did wrap up the Iraq war. And there's a lot of people think that he did not negotiate, and he was ready just to get out. But I'm telling you one thing. We are just a stupid mistake away from higher gas prices. And it could be President Obama. It could be people in Egypt. It could be uh, the country of Iran. It could be Libya. It's all kind of pieces of a dangerous puzzle. The thing that scares me about the foreign policy of 2011, we went through the Arab Spring, Libya, where we went... Uh, the president just forgot about the War Powers Act and acted on his own to start his own war uh, to help out defeat Libya. We did get Gaddafi. But what have we left? There's a powder keg, and it's the gunpowder. <laughs> could go off any time if somebody throws a match in there. And it's a little bit scary, and, uh, and not only for the gas prices, but a lot of things. I think President Obama is pretty smug and prideful and confident on his foreign policy. He hadn't had anything blow up in his face yet. And, and uh, between Russia, Iran, and China, and, and North Korea, he, we're sitting on some eggshells that can break any time. And I don't know if this president really has what it takes to make sure that we have some peaceful transactions and transitions. That's one part of walking through 2011. The other part is, have you been grocery shopping lately? All the boxes and the bags look the same size. Have you opened them up? Folks, we've got inflation here. It's what I call deception inflation. <laughs> you get a big box and you open it up and there's a bag that's sealed and <laughs> you don't need half the box. You need probably a fourth of the box in some cases. We got inflation going on. Consumers are getting ripped off. 
Companies are trying to make a profit in this recession, and they're being deceptive. And I'm telling you that we are in inflation, like it or not, I don't care what the government says, it's the same thing as unemployment. They're talking about the unemployment going down, the economy's picking up, but we still got 25 million people who want jobs. Something is not jiving with the figures we're getting. We should be uh, just, uh, just going full steam ahead with an economy. And yet, what we have, as we journey through 2011, we see failed policies that are kicking in from what happened the first two years in 2009 and 2010 when the Democratic far-left leadership of Pelosi and Reid and President Obama slammed down the throats of the American people all this progressive far-left ideology with laws that are starting to take effect and it's putting a stranglehold on this nation. The economic engines are not turning, they were not greased by the EPA and all the other uh, agencies of this administration. They're putting sand in the very gears we need to get our economic engines rolling. So I just want to say, walking down through 2011, there's a story that's being told in the agony and the misery of those who are seeking good, gainful employment. And this journey of 2011, I hope, will take a turn in 2012 as we see that we got to keep the main thing, the main thing. I do not know how Iowa's going to come out. I do not know how New Hampshire or South Carolina or Florida is going to turn out in the Republican nomination. But this week's Rock of Liberty speech, I want you to remember one thing and keep it constant and clear that we are going to have to keep the main thing, the main thing, and that's making sure that President Barack Obama is a one-term president. We cannot endure four more years of the direction this country is being ripped apart in. Now, that's this week's Rock of Liberty speech, and we're going to be talking about our caucuses next week and continue on Republican nomination you come back, Doc Holliday's Tea Party. I'm glad you're here, and we've got more news coming next week, so tune in. God bless you. See you in 2012. Thanks for joining us today, and remember to listen again next week for another edition of Doc Holliday's Tea Party. You can order Ed's book, Walk With Me, A Patriot's Guide, from the Boston Tea Party to today's Tea Party Revolution by clicking on the book cover right in front of you on the screen. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.